Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for being here with us tonight. We are so pleased that each and every one of you can make time for us here on your Sunday night uh, to be a part of this great organization, this great event. Uh, my name is Karen Roby. I'm a parishioner here at St. Margaret Mary. I'm also an anchor with WLKY, so I have the uh, ability um, privilege, I should say, to help host a lot of events here in our community, whether that be with different organizations, different nonprofits, but it's certainly a delight and a privilege to be a part of something that is with St. Margaret Mary. This is my home. I have three children that go to school here. I have a fourth grader, a third grader, and a first grader. So I love this place, and I'm glad to be a part of something uh, that's rooted here in uh, with this new CEO program. And this is our second time, of course, so we're still kind of figuring everything out and learning as we go. And it's a great, great opportunity for all of us to get together and hear some amazing words uh, from different people here in our community. So now a CEO for for those of you that are not aware of what it is uh, exactly, it's the Catholic Evangelization Outreach. Of course, it's the uh, church's call to evangelize. Now, uh, some of you may think, which is not abnormal whatsoever, to think that it's kind of an uncomfortable word, evangelization. Uh, brings to mind having to go door to door a little bit about um, standing on a street corner, maybe professing your faith. But what we have learned is to evangelize simply means to share the good news, and that's what we're all doing here tonight. So your brochure shares the story of how CEO began in 2011. Pete Matheson from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. He answered God's call to start a lay person's ministry to help our priests who are overburdened, as many of you may know, with the day-to-day -day operation of running their parishes. Purpose as CEO is for lay people to share their experience of how God has moved in their lives to bring them into a personal relationship with him. The speakers are carefully chosen. Their presentations are reviewed ahead of time by a small committee to ensure that their talk is well organized and that all of their remarks are grounded in scripture and the teachings here of the Catholic Church. CEO is a Christ-centered, lay-driven, grassroots ministry organized and presented by ordinary people for ordinary people. In 2014, our parishioner here, Donna Lang, introduced CEO to formation leadership at St. Margaret Mary. We began the program here at St. Margaret last month, and it was fitting that Donna Lang was our very first CEO speaker to kick off our special ministry. So it is my pleasure uh, now to introduce our speaker tonight, Michael Bartley. Michael was born and raised in Peoria, Illinois. He left Peoria when he went to college and went away to college and spent the subsequent 15 years living in various cities in the Midwest. He's been married to his wife, Amy, for 18 years. The two of them have moved to Louisville from Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 2005 to be near Amy's family. Michael has four daughters, Rosie and Emma, attend Assumption High School, and Gracie and Sarah, who attend, of course, here St. Margaret Mary. They've been parishioners here at St. Margaret Mary for 10 years now. Please welcome Michael Bartley. Thank you. Can, can you all hear me okay? Good evening. I'd like to begin this, uh, begin this evening with a passage from the Gospel of Matthew. <clears throat> now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. One of the maids came over to him and said, You too are with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it in front of everyone, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. As he went out the gate, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus the Nazarene. Again, he denied it with an oath. 
I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came over and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them. Even your speech gives you away. At that time, he began to curse and to swear. I do not know the man. And immediately, a cock crowed. Then Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. He went out and began to weep bitterly. I chose to start my story with this passage from the Gospel of Matthew because I've spent much of my life acting like Peter, denying Christ in my life. My name is Michael Bartley. I was raised a cradle Catholic in Peoria, Illinois, with my sister Bridget and a much younger brother, Matthew. And I attended Catholic school from first grade all the way through to the University of Notre Dame. I've been married, married nearly 19 years to my wife, Amy, and I, I told her I was going to marry her after we'd been dating less than three months. I just knew. We were engaged after just a, about dating about a year and got married a little more than a year later and had Rosie 18 months after that. Now 16 years old and driving, Rosie was just the beginning. I'm the father of three other beautiful daughters, Emma, who's 14, Gracie's 12, and Sarah is 9. And I currently work here at Brown Foreman in Louisville. In my spare time, I love to run and I love to cook, particularly big hunks of meat over fire. The running luckily offsets the cooking and I'm also the self-proclaimed world's biggest Van Halen fan. I'm trying to pass that on to my girls. This past July, we all took a road trip to St. Louis to see them from the seventh row. And while I think they enjoyed the spectacle and humored me, the truth is that their preferences more likely reside with Fifth Harmony, R5, and Pentatonics. In spite of my girls' efforts, though, my musical tastes really haven't evolved much past 1984. My childhood was a tough time for me, and really, began, really when I began to turn away from God and my faith. Growing up under my parents' roof was not easy for me or for them. Their parenting style blended with my personality like oil and water. I was a sensitive kid with a quick temper. They viewed me as difficult and disrespectful. I viewed them as domineering, controlling, and shaming. Our volatile interactions often left me left me feeling like I was a bad kid rather than a kid who was making poor choices. That proved to have two unfortunate side effects. First, I grew up feeling like I was never good enough, defective in some way, and I carried this self-perception into my adulthood. And second, as religious as both of my parents were, my desire to distance myself from them resulted in me wanting nothing to do with God as well. I went to church every Sunday and holy day, holy day of Obligation until I got my driver's license. Then I went as infrequently as I could get away with. I did volunteer, and I also participated on retreats as a teenager, even taking on leadership roles on teams. But if it wasn't something I was doing with my friends, or if it wasn't going to help my college application, it was under duress. Between after-school jobs, school work, tennis team, and social activities, I didn't make time for God or for church. The more my parents pushed me to attend Mass and engage in my faith, the harder I pushed back. However, I would ultimately pay a great price for ignoring God. So here's the thing. I was always a decent student. Sometimes I was a spectacular one. I was a pretty good athlete, particularly with tennis and running. 
I've always had a small but awesome group of friends who accept me for who I am and who I can depend on in times of need. I've never lost my job. I've never been in financial trouble. I've always been able to meet my financial obligations. Though with four Catholic high school educations and four college educations and four weddings, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> I've never experienced the death of a loved one with the exception of three grandparents, all of whom lived very, very long and full lives. I've never been seriously ill. My girls are perfectly healthy, beautiful, smart, funny. They have unique gifts and talents, and Amy and I work very, very hard to give them the space to develop. Our pregnancies were textbook. We got pregnant like that when the time came. I have a great marriage. My wife Amy is truly the rock upon which our family is built. Meeting Amy has probably changed the course of my life more than any other event. She tirelessly gives of herself in the interest of the family and of any group or community she chooses to be involved with. She has been a wonderful example to Christ, of Christ to me and to my girls. My problems have always been the car and plumbing variety. All told, I've got an amazing life. I always have. And I've had a tendency to take that all for granted. That tendency, my failure to appreciate the way that God was working in my life and the blessings that he had bestowed on me resulted in some really, really tough consequences. Depression and anxiety began very early in my life. I've spent countless hours in therapist's office over the last 34 years working on everything from adjusting my attitude to battling depression, to trying to quit worrying about worst-case scenarios that never ended up happening. My darkest moment came three days after celebrating my 20th birthday, January 4, 1991, when I ended up in the emergency room and was being treated for major depression. I spent a month inpatient and another six months at home before I was ready to get back into the world and return to school. I've spent many years on all sorts of antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. Outside of therapy, I have read countless self-help books over the years, looking for different strategies to be happy, to stop worrying and start living, to be more productive, as if doing more will make me feel better. I've used a lot of alcohol to elevate my mood, quell my anxiety, and numb my pain, always at the expense of the good stuff. As I've learned, I just can't numb the bad without numbing the good as well. I have lived a glass-half-empty kind of life through all the friendships, marriage, career successes, vacations, holidays, through the joys of my children being born, seeing them grow, throughout my entire charmed life, if you want to call it that. See, I've tried lots and lots of ways to be happy. However, the one thing I hadn't tried until just a few years ago was making time for Christ in my life. Until relatively recently, my faith was just another obligation. It wasn't comforting, it wasn't soothing, and I didn't use it as a guide on how to live my life. I intend, instead, I associated it with the unhappiness and pain of my youth, another demand of my time that robbed me of time for myself. However, all of that has changed, and my life has profoundly changed in the process. God hadn't forgotten me, even though I'd excluded him from my life all those years. In spite of the fact that I'd kept Christ at a distance in my life, he was, ready, he was there for me when I was ready to return. 
We're told in Luke that after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples. Does he give them a hard time? Jack, does he give them a hard time? Not really. Luke tells us that Jesus stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. One day, a few years ago, a new director of religious education showed up here at St. Margaret Mary. He had some ideas for formation activities that were an attempt to get people more engaged in their faith. There were some enrichment programs, particularly in the liturgical year and the mass, that I found interesting, but I struggled to fit them into my schedule. So I stopped attending. However, my wife jumped right in, and that led to a big period of change for Amy. She started to get more involved in the parish. She joined an RCIA core team. She started attending Bible study, hung crucifixes in our house, and started doing a lot of reading about our faith and sharing with me. She also signed us up for Why Catholic. I think that was, that, that was her point of conversion. We also started attending Mass more frequently as a result. However, I was still resisting the engagement with Christ in my life. That DRE left, and another director of religious education joined us who was with us until just this past summer. In the fall of 2011, Amy noticed an ad in the bulletin looking for men interested in forming a men's group here at St. Margaret Mary. She handed it to me, and I put it down on the coffee table. But I didn't throw it away, and as a result, Amy handed it back to me a few days later. She said, I think you should follow up on this, and I shoved it in my dresser. But I didn't throw it away. Something about that ad uh, kept gnawing at me. I couldn't stop thinking about it. About two weeks later, I sent an email expressing my interest. A few more weeks went by, and then I was invited to meet at St. Bernadette's to see what the men's group was doing with a program called That Man Is You. It was me and Joe Guy Hagen who were there that night. All of a sudden, I'm giving up Sunday nights to be with a bunch of men I'd never met who are sustaining a, a vibrant men's group here or at St. Bernadette's on Sunday nights. I even convinced a few of them, a uh, few of the guys from St. Margaret Mary, to come, come with me. And this series of meetings motivated me to serve on the leadership team of the men's group here at St. Margaret Mary, which has now been meeting on Sunday nights for three and a half years. Participating in this men's group has led to my participation in so many other ministries. I started taking teams of men down to the soup kitchen at the cathedral periodically to serve lunch for the homeless. Someone nominated me for parish council. I decided to run, and I got elected. I was fortunate enough to attend the first Chrysler News' parish retreat here. I wasn't even going to attend because I was so busy at work. But luckily, the women went first because after I saw how they looked, felt, and talked after that retreat, there was no way I was going to miss it. I cleared my calendar. Amy and I ended up joining the retreat leadership committee in the parish, and as a result, I um, helped lead the next three subsequent retreats. As a way to support the, the chirp process, I started playing guitar again after I'd been sitting in the case in my closet for 20 years. Not only can I su support chirp with that, but it's given me a way to connect with my daughter, and I play periodically at Mass. I'm reading scripture, either in the form of daily meditations, Chirp small group formation sessions or latching on to Amy's Bible study. This past summer, Amy and I pulled together a group to start hosting Eucharistic Adoration here at St. Margaret Mary on Sunday evenings, or excuse me, on Wednesday evenings. And now I have the opportunity tonight to talk to you. I've been given this opportunity to share my story. 
As I began to give of my time to the community, began to learn about my faith, and as I formed relationships with other men and women who were focused on living out the gospel, I began to really incorporate faith into my daily life. As I did, I started to see real changes in every aspect of my life. I could go on and on about the positive changes that occurred by beginning to allow Christ to guide and shape my thoughts and behaviors. Most profound for me was the way I was coping with difficulties and challenges in my life. I was more outwardly focused, slowly, slowly becoming more giving of my time and grateful for my blessings. I was less focused on myself and my own angst. My faith started giving me the tools I needed to cope with my feelings of depression and anxiety. The understanding that I was always good enough in God's eyes and that I have the important purpose of sharing God's love with others. Over time, I truly began to experience authentic joy. I believed that for the first time in my life, I was on the right path and living like I was meant to live. However, that was just the beginning of Christ's transformation in my life. It wasn't until just about two years ago that things really began to take hold. The concept of forgiveness and the importance of reconciliation were what really grabbed me. In February of 2014, there were three weeks where we had the privilege of hearing the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And while I'd heard these stories many, many times in my life, I felt like I was hearing them for the first time. It was sort of an epiphany for me. I felt like the gauntlet was being thrown down. This was the ultimate self-help book. Think about this, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but in chapter 5 alone, not only shall you not kill but do not even be angry at your brother. Not only shall you not commit adultery, you shall not even look at another woman with lust. Instead of an eye for an eye, if someone strikes you, offer the other cheek. Love not just your neighbor, but love your enemy as well. And then chapter 5 concludes with verse 48. Be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. I was stunned. This is how I'm expected to live? How can I live like this? How can anyone live like this? Not only am I called to eliminate my cruel actions, I'm called to eliminate cruel thoughts and attitudes. And I realize that the smaller things in life, anger, resentment, gossip, self-absorption, envy, they were still separating me from God. According to this formula for living, I'd spent my entire life and most of my waking moments as a sinner. And furthermore, to live like I'm called to live by Jesus means I'm going to continue to sin countless times per day. But, and this is where things really hit home for me, with the help of a sermon by Bishop Robert Barron, which is available as a podcast, I learned that this call to perfection is accompanied by God's unlimited grace in the form of forgiveness. Christ tells us to forgive others, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. Do this, and he'll do the same for me. This juxtaposition was a huge eye-opener for me on more than one level. First, it was immensely comforting to know that Jesus just expects me to keep moving forward and will continue to forgive transgressions as I ask him to. And second, it also meant that I was called to forgive others and to forgive myself. As a result, I began taking a fresh look at my faith, particularly the sacrament of reconciliation. I no longer view it as irrelevant or something to steer clear of for fear of shame and embarrassment, but as a way to set the record straight and continue to move forward. 
As Pope Francis said in his exhortation, The Joy of the Gospel, God never tires of forgiving us. We are the ones who tire of seeking his mercy. With a tenderness which never disappoints, but is always capable of restoring our joy, he makes it possible for us to lift up, lift up our heads and start anew. And start anew, I do. But the other thing that concerned me was the act of articulating what I was sorry for to a priest, another human who could judge me. Well, my concerns were put to rest by something a priest once said. He said, as a priest, I'm not here to judge you. Rather, I'm the individual from our community who represents Christ to show you how much Christ loves you and show you his mercy. When you say you're sorry to Christ in your head, he doesn't generally talk back. Sometimes as humans, we need that interaction, and sometimes we want to hear what Christ might say to us. So there you go. Now that I began to see my sins, the sins I was committing in light of the perfection I'm called to, I realized the only way that I'd be able to stay on that path was to ask for help. And the sacrament of reconciliation has been instrumental in lightening my load. So how has reconciliation and a new understanding of Christ's forgiveness and mercy changed my daily life? As I look at my own imperfections and understanding of God's expectations, it has allowed me to have a new compassion for others. I am certainly not perfect. So how can I expect others to be? This understanding has allowed me to look at my childhood with kinder and more understanding eyes. And my relationship with my parents has changed for the better as a result. In fact, this understanding has had a positive impact on all of the relationships in my life. As I became more compassionate, my family, my family life had gotten even better. My wife is happier, right? And my interactions with my kids have improved, right? Similarly, my work life has improved. I began to view my role at work from the same perspective and became more helpful, patient, and giving of my time. And sure enough, a promotion and transfer to a job I've been wanting soon followed. I'm also able to forgive everyone in my life more easily, not just those closest to me, but people I work with, people I volunteer with, and even strangers. Interestingly enough, I've often found that the actions, behaviors, and personality traits that irritate me most in others tend to be things that I exhibit in myself and need to work on personally. The Lord really does work in mysterious ways. Most importantly, I'm better able to forgive myself for my sins and failures. This has been the most challenging aspect of it all. As a result of the self-perception I developed as a child, I've always been very hard on myself, acutely aware of my own flaws and imperfections. Beginning to understand God's mercy has allowed me to let go of some of those feelings. And because I'm able to do so, I don't have to compare myself to others as much which I know men in particular tend to do. And as a result, I'm happier and less anxious than I used to be. In the end, it's absolutely crazy to think that God will forgive me for my sins and I won't forgive myself. That's just nuts. That is not starting anew. Finally, God's mercy has made me reflect on all of the blessings in my life. Now more than ever, I'm extraordinarily grateful for that charmed life full of plumbing and car problems that I spoke about earlier. Through my faith, 
I found peace, joy, and happiness that I never had before. I'm focused daily on living, trying to live out the gospel as Jesus calls me to, and I fail every single day. But that is okay. Jesus sets the bar really, really high, but he's laid out a permanent safety net for me. All I have to do is ask him for help and mercy. Thank you for your time. God bless. I'm going to go sit over here. Michael, thank you so much for uh, your honesty and openness with us here tonight. We'd ask for all of you all uh, to think about some of the things that Michael shared with us tonight, the same, the joy, the happiness that he was talking about, how you can find that too in your own life, just something to reflect on as you leave us here tonight. Uh, and we'd like to invite you to bring a friend to our next CEO event that's set for Sunday, that's January 17th when 16-year-old Zach Gobert will be our speaker. Now, whether you are a teen or an adult, Zach's story will challenge you to deepen your faith as he reminds us that everything is part of God's plan. You won't want to miss hearing his amazing story, and we also encourage you to bring some of your older children with us, uh, with you as well, to hear what he has to say. Now, note that our first uh, meeting there for the first of the year in January to hear Zach speak uh, that has a new time will be starting at 6.30 instead of 7 o'clock, so make sure you note that. Thank you.